You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us this week. Another big week in the battle against government corruption at the highest levels by Judicial Watch and dare I say it finally Congress. I'll talk about that uh, new information that in a sane world uh, could see criminal charges brought against the President of the United States and his impeachment. So a lot going on in that regard, that's for sure. Uh, plus, uh, new information on uh, election integrity. We have a settlement of a major lawsuit that I think you'll be pleased about. Plus, what about President Biden's granddaughter that he's refused to acknowledge? We've got some troubling information about that at the basis of a federal lawsuit uh, that uh, you're going to be interested in it as well. So, much going on. And uh, But first up is, uh, just to let you know, this is some weird medical tape. It's designed to help heal my darn tennis elbow, which isn't healed yet. Uh, this alleviates the pain a little bit. Not, It's not a cure, but it's helpful. Uh, so I don't want you to get nervous about that. Uh, first up, I, I want to highlight the continued abuse of uh, President Trump. Uh, President Trump uh, is being uh, prosecuted by the Biden regime. And I say regime because they've abused their powers in a way that makes them more like a regime than an administration. He's facing uh, prosecution and jailing in uh, Florida as a result of uh, Biden's appointee, Jack Smith, appointed there by Garland, so Biden's responsible for him. Uh, over this uh, sham records investigation where the president's being prosecuted for uh, doing what a president's allowed to do under the law, which is to designate and keep records as personal, whether or not Jack Smith, Garland, or uh, the big media disagree with him on it. And the fight now before the court, the indictment, of course, has taken place. The arraignment's taken place. So the question is, when was the trial going to be? Now, uh, the Biden Justice Department has been desperate to get the trial set for as soon as December of this year, uh, just a few weeks before the Iowa primaries. And as I noted to you in the weekly update last week, uh, President Trump's legal team said, well, that's not fair. There's so much to consider here. Uh, it's it's a, a very complex case, lots of discovery, classified information issues, and the analysis of that constitutional issues, and of course, he's a candidate for president. So uh, today, uh, Judge Cannon, who is appointed by President Trump, he, she is the U.S. District Court judge in Florida that's handling the case, who's been under tremendous pressure by the regime and its apologists, as um, some have called it the regime media, uh, because she was uh, a Trump appointee and she was skeptical of uh, previously during the Mar-a-Lago Mar raid, uh, Justice Department arguments and tried to hold them accountable. Uh, so she said, no, it's not going to be in December. It's going to be May 20th, the trial, 2024, which of course still is in the middle of the election. Now, in making her ruling, she said that the Justice Department's position was uh, would not be fair to President Trump. So it was a big slapback against uh, the Biden Justice Department, the judge's decision. And she said, this is a complex case. Stop pretending it isn't. Uh, we're not going to have a trial. It won't be fair to President Trump to have a trial 
on July, uh, excuse me, in December of 2023. Now, instead, she said May of 2024. Now, I run hot and cold on that. I know that by the Trump team, I just saw before I came on air here, the Trump team was satisfied with the ruling because it gave them plenty of time to keep on fighting about this. Um, I, I tend to think that it's the trial, despite her finding that the trial should begin in May of 2024, it's just not going to happen in May of 2024. I just don't see a trial of a president of the United, a former president of the United States, and at that time likely to be the leading candidate for president, uh, to go forward in the middle of a presidential campaign like that. To me, that would be judicial interference in the election if Judge Cannon allowed that to happen. So I suspect this trial of it ultimately will be pushed past the election into the next administration, whoever runs it, and uh, the left won't like that, uh, but I think that would be the right thing to do, uh, assuming that the trial goes forward at all, given the uh, corruption involved and the lawlessness involved in the prosecution of Trump. I think there's more than enough information and evidence of prosecutorial misconduct, constitutional infirmities related to uh, the theory of the law that's being pursued against Trump. And, you know, uh, so we'll see what happens here uh, because all these issues are going to be litigated before May. And the idea that it's all going to be resolved one way or another before May, I think, is, is I don't think, going to be the case. Now, if the trial does take place in May, I mean, what, a, what a nightmare that will be for the Republic because to me, it, it just will just make a mockery of our system of justice make a mockery of our election, our right to govern ourselves. Should the Justice Department, run by Biden appointees, engage in a novel application of the law to try to jail his political opponent in the months before an election? I mean, how is that not election rigging? And if Biden had any spine, as I said before, and was had any a modicum of ethics, he wouldn't just, he, wouldn't, he doesn't even need to issue a pardon. He tell the Justice Department, we're not doing this, okay? This is too disruptive to America. You're, you're walking on thin ice with respect to the law here. It's making a fool of us abroad. But we now know, based on other information, that uh, that's not going to be the case because the Justice Department, according to the reports this week, a leak to the New York Times, that they plan, this Jack Smith plans to indict Trump again, plans to arrest Trump again. President Trump announced last week, or I guess earlier this week, on, uh, that he received notice from the Justice Department inviting him to testify to the grand jury within four days, the grand jury that's still take going on up here in Washington, D.C. Uh, what it's looking into, who knows? But generally, according to the leaks, obviously, it looks like to me, from the Justice Department to their friends at the New York Times, uh, they're thinking of prosecuting Trump and likely to prosecute Trump for daring to oppose President Biden's election, both as a president and as a candidate, which both of which were within his rights as president under the Constitution and within his rights as a citizen candidate under the First Amendment and other federal and constitutional laws. And uh, this was my reaction uh, that I issued on Twitter. And I think it's worth 
highlighting it specifically. Let me read it here for you. You can see it up there. You see, the nice thing about paying a little extra money for Twitter is you get to write long pieces like that. And believe it or not, the longer pieces get some attention. You can see 1.2 million people uh, reviewed this uh, tweet. Breaking, Biden, who is the most corrupt president since he was vice president, trying to criminalize criticism of how he was elected with an unprecedented indictment of Trump. According to leak to the allied New York Times, his operative, um, Jack Smith, threatens Trump with unprecedented and unconstitutional criminal charges for Trump's daring to exercise his duties as president to ensure federal election law is followed and for daring to exercise his God-given First Amendment rights as a candidate to dispute a controversial election. Of course, by arresting and seeking to jail Trump, Biden is trying to rig yet another election in order to maintain and obtain additional power for him and his Democratic Party. All this is un-American, anti-constitutional, and would be a fundamental violation of the civil rights of President Trump. The latest plan to arrest Trump again is obviously designed to send a signal to Americans, accept rigged elections without complaint, or be jailed. Frankly, the abuse of Trump by the Biden administration should be the subject of civil, criminal, and impeachment investigations, and hashtag tyranny. And I talk about this a little bit at a speech. I don't think we can call it up now. Um, before uh, uh, the Freedom Fest uh, group uh, down in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, you know, I know this is all about politics because I testified to the grand jury, as I told you, before um, up here in Washington D.C. It was back in February, and it was hours and hours of being harassed on this election dispute, all of which is protected by the First Amendment and appropriate under federal constitutional law and, depending on the states, state laws. And that's all Trump was doing. That's all other citizens were doing. But, you know, it's not just about Trump because the Attorney General of Michigan, who's a Democrat partisan, announced that he's indicting and trying to jail for the rest of their lives eight or so uh, citizens of Michigan who are involved in the Republican Party or as volunteers or friends of leaders. I think at least one of them is over 80. And they signed on to be alternative slate, uh, an alternative uh, slate of electors. And they're trying to jail them for doing that, even though it's the sort of conduct that goes on election after presidential election, most notably in in Hawaii in 1960 when uh, there was an alternative slate of electors put forward to compete with the official ones in the presidential election involving John F. Kennedy. But Republicans do it, they're going to get jailed. Uh, So this is a dangerous time. I keep on saying it, but I'm going to keep on saying it because there's urgency here, my, my fellow patriots. Our republic is under attack from the Biden administration. They are misusing the powers of government to try to jail their political opponents. Their Democratic Party allies in other jurisdictions, both in in Michigan, New York City, Alvin Bragg, and we're also hearing this week they're planning to indict Trump in uh, the Democrat-controlled county, Fulton County, Georgia, uh, for his daring to question uh, the mess of an election in Georgia in 2020. 
and so they're going to be targeting Trump there. So this is a search and destroy mission against the Republican Party by the Democratic Party machinery. And they're utilizing the precious powers and awesome powers. I don't mean awesome in the sense that, oh, they're great, they're wonderful. I mean awesome in the sense that they can destroy you if they're used against you. Uh, the awesome powers of the federal government prosecutorial, the federal prosecutorial power and state criminal uh, prosecution power to try to jail people, not because they committed crimes, but because they uh, were on the wrong side of a political fight. And this is another way, again, to rig the election in 2024. Uh, and it's designed to not only scare people off from questioning if the election outcome is suspicious or the process is suspicious, but, but even from participating in the election. Because the new rule is if you exercise your First Amendment rights, you will go to jail. That's the new rule under Biden. You will go to jail. They will censor you. And in the case of Trump, as I say here, they're planning to arrest him and jail him for exercising fundamental First Amendment rights. And now I will remind you, the First Amendment protects several rights. As, the, as I say, it's a God-given, uh, these are God-given rights you have. The First Amendment recognizes those rights you, has as a, have, you naturally have as a human being, um, these blessings from God that we have as a result of our special humanity. Uh, you have the, the free exercise clause, right? The free speech clause, the free association clause, which is part of this, right? To collaborate with an association of a campaign or a political party and the right to petition your government, to go to your government and say, this election was bad. What can we do about it? Let's change uh, um, and protect uh, uh, the, uh, let's, let's, let's be sure that the correct result is reached as a result of either Congress taking appropriate steps or the states taking appropriate steps. They want to outright, outright outlaw those, uh, those uh, constitutional First Amendment rights that citizens like Trump have and these poor citizens in Michigan have. And it, you know, Michigan's not going to be the end of it. Democrats in Arizona are thinking of ways to jail folks who disputed the election there. It's happening in Georgia. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's happening in other jurisdictions as well. So, you know, it, this corruption, this, this effort to jail their political opponents, it's, it's spreading throughout the nation, right? It's like the, it's like the equivalent of the smoke from those socialist fires up in Canada. Uh, this, this corruption of, of an abuse of power, uh, designed to thwart, uh, their political opposition and jail them. And I tell you, uh, it's, it's, by the time this is all over, we're going to look more like Moscow than Washington, D.C. in terms of our political life. That's what I fear. So if I were in Congress, I'd be doing everything possible under the law to stop this. If I were, for instance, the governor of Georgia, I'd do everything I could under the law to stop this. And of course, uh, the Justice Department, in my view, the Justice Department's attack on Trump uh, should be subject, as I say, uh, to civil, criminal, and impeachment investigations. It's that bad. Why do I think it's that bad? Because we're seeing what it is they're nervous about when they go after Trump. What is it they're trying to distract us from? Which is their own criminal behavior, or strong evidence of their own criminal behavior, 
in protecting Biden. And we had testimony this week in Congress, and I, as you know, I'm kind of skeptical of Congress's ability to get anything done, and frankly, I still am. But in terms of getting information out, Congress can be very useful. And they had the testimony of these two IRS whistleblowers, Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler, I believe his last name is, his associate, whose name was previously uh, unknown until he testified. And um, they provided information about the corruption uh, by the Justice Department and the FBI in protecting Joe Biden, a level of detail about the craven way that this Justice Department is protecting Joe Biden and Hunter Biden for years, and in detail that I don't remember ever being presented previously in congressional testimony. I just don't remember it ever being presented this way in congressional testimony. The level of detail, the credibility of the witnesses. I mean, when you, when you see what the the left Democrats were uh, had to end up doing, they started complaining about racism in the IRS that they are funding beyond all rational measure. So that's ironic. I mean, so the, the left didn't even know what to do against these witnesses because the witnesses had devastating information about how Hunter Biden and, and, Nessus, and Joe Biden were protected. And I've got a little bit from their written statements here. I'm going to just read a little bit from the one statement of Mr. Um, I think it's Ziegler. Am I getting his name right? Let's see, I highlighted it. So he testified, and his written, and his written comments are available on the website of the, on the House Oversight Committee. So we'll provide a link to the Oversight Committee's hearing website um, page on this, and you can watch the hearing as well. The hearing, and there's more information in the hearing, and of course I can't go through all the details of the hearing here, but I can go through a little bit of what they testified to. I would like to address a couple of high-level arguments that have been raised against Gary Shapley and me. The first concerns Mr. Weiss's authority. Mr. Weiss stated he had been granted. Now, Weiss is the U.S. attorney in the Delaware, in Delaware, who was appointed by Trump. And, of course, Biden kept him on, allegedly to investigate himself and Hunter. And they say, well, he's a Trump appointee, so all of his decisions, you know, they're all Republican. You know, look, he was only put there because two Democrat senators uh, wanted him there. So he's a Trump appointee in the sense that that's the way things work. Democrats get U.S. attorneys they like if they control the state. Uh, certainly, if two Democrats control the state. So he's about as much of a Trump appointee as Kamala Harris is. Mr. Weiss stated he had been granted, quote, ultimate authority over this matter, but then later stated in the same letter that he had charging authority and geographically limited, his, that his charging authority is geographically limited and he would need to ask President Biden, um, appointed U.S. attorneys, to partner with him in charging the case. So the point being, he had authority to uh, provide uh, or to prosecute up in Delaware in his jurisdiction, but he couldn't file cases in the District of Columbia in California, Central District of California, which is what he wanted to do, but wasn't able to do because the U.S. attorneys there appointed by Biden didn't want to do it. We know that as recently in March of 2023, even the Department of Justice Tax Division attorney assigned to the case 
questioned Mrs. Mr. Weiss's authority and didn't know where Mr. Weiss was going to charge the case. Mr. Weiss stated he was making decisions necessarily to preserve the integrity of the prosecutions consistent with federal law, the principles of federal prosecution, and departmental regulations. But in the Criminal Tax Manual, Chapter 10, found in the Department of Justice's website, Tax Division Policy states, cases involving individuals who fail to file tax returns or pay a tax, but who also commit acts of evasion or obstruction should be charged as felonies to avoid inequitable treatment. And he emphasized that. In early August of 2022, federal prosecutors from the Department of Justice drafted a 99-page memorandum. The memorandum recommended approving felony and misdemeanor charges for the 2017, 2018, 2019 tax years. If the Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss followed DOJ policy as he stated in his most recent letter, Hunter Biden would have been charged with a tax felony and not only the tax misdemeanor charge. We need to treat each taxpayer the same under law. And they go on to say how Weiss was a hamstrung. Let me see what he says at the end here. While the impression was the U.S. Attorney in Delaware has essentially the powers of a special counsel in this case, free reign to do as needed, as is clearly shown, that was not the case. The U.S. Attorney in Delaware, in our investigation, was constantly hamstrung, limited, and marginalized by DOJ officials, meaning Biden appointees, as well as other U.S. attorneys. I still have view that a special counsel for this case would cut through the toughest problems that continue to make problems for this case. So here we have uh, one of the top IRS criminal investigators, his boss, Shapley. He has another, um, he has other testimony, which you can review as well, that show that they were prevented from questioning Hunter, from pursuing leads related to Joe Biden and his adult grandchildren, because what was happening is, as I've talked about before, they have information that money was being laundered from foreign sources to the benefit of Hunter Biden. And given the other information, uh, including in text messages that show that Joe was involved in Hunter's businesses as a partner. So it was obviously for his benefit, according to the evidence. Uh, but they were restricted by the Biden Justice Department from pursuing those leads specifically. And Garland was, was telling Congress, and Weiss was suggesting to Congress, that he had ultimate authority and no one could tell him what to do. But that, in fact, was not the case. He wanted to bring charges, evidently, or should have brought charges, and he was, as, as this testimony shows, hamstrung. There's another FBI agent who has come forward that confirms uh, that as well. And so uh, we not only have evidence of, again, evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence of corruption by Joe Biden, right? But we have evidence of criminal obstruction of justice by the Justice Department, namely Attorney General Garland and his appointees. Certainly Garland is going to be questioned and should be investigated criminally for statements he made to Congress that suggest that Weiss had more freedom and full authority to prosecute when in fact that was not the case as this sworn testimony shows. So this is pretty damning testimony that not only highlights the um, uh, just how corrupt 
the Biden racketeering operation is, and it was a racketeering operation, let's be clear. Joe Biden has run his, he's he's been part of a family business operation that is akin to the mafia. And he should have been prosecuted as such. And, you know, I was talking to Devin Nunes yesterday on his podcast. And we're, and you know, we kind of came to this insight together that, remember Al Capone, right? They had, you know, he was a murderer and a racketeer and all, all, you know, terrible mafia guy, right? And the feds had trouble getting him, but they decided to get him on tax charges. So it's the same with the Bidens, except worse. It's worse than Al Capone because you have all of this uh, corruption by uh, the Bidens, right? Much more significant than tax charges. And so we're like, well, maybe they'll get him on tax charges. But they don't even want to pursue the tax charges against Hunter. So according to this testimony, for instance, income that Hunter Biden received from Burisma, uh, he refused to disclose, didn't pay taxes on until I think probably recently, and you know, which doesn't negate the criminality of what he did. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't get to uh, just pay taxes after you're caught and then get away with tax fraud. And he's not going to be held accountable for that because this Justice Department refused to do anything to pursue it uh, in a timely way. And and there's no honest answer for why they didn't want to do it. The simplest answer is that it was corruption. And I have to say, this corruption did not begin during the Biden administration. It metastasized and got worse because ultimately uh, a lot of the key decisions happened during Biden's administration. But a lot of this cover-up occurred during the Trump administration. And I guarantee you this corruption goes back to, obviously they knew that, uh, as we've talked about before, that Joe Biden was compromised because of Hunter Biden's Burisma dealings back during the Obama administration. By the way, Jack Smith was was supposedly running the anti-corruption um, arm of the Justice Department uh, during part of that period. So I think he should be questioned about what he knew and when and why, what evidence did they have that they were ignoring. Uh, so you've got administration after administration. You've got Loretta Lynch. You have maybe Eric Holder, depending on how far back it goes. You have Sessions. You have Bill Barr. And Bill Barr really has some answers, uh, questions to answer. Because the, uh, you know, the reports are that he specifically stopped and didn't want the Hunter investigation to go forward in any substantial way during the election. So it was a, you know, he should be asked about why it is things didn't move under his watch. And then, of course, under Garland, we have the kind of the, the lies about how the case was being handled. Now, what, what, should be the, what should be the solution here? I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Because part, one of the things that the IRS criminal investigators didn't have access to, but should have, and you'll see why, is this now public FBI document that I think is public in part because of pressure from Judicial Watch. We sued for it. Uh, Chuck Grassley released the document. Um, the, the regime media is furious because they quote it's unverified, but it's a confidential human source document. And you can read it for yourself. And you can decide whether or not it provides plausible evidence that should have been pursued by the Justice Department, as opposed to hidden by the Justice Department and the FBI from investigators like the IRS agents who testified the other day. 
and judge for yourself. And the testimony and, and the document is devastating. It alone justifies impeachment of the President of the United States, an impeachment inquiry to figure out what the heck has been going on. The document is released, um, it's a ten, the 1023, the FBI document 1023. And I'm going to read you the key parts. So it involves this confidential human source that, according to reports, is a credible, uh, seen as credible by the FBI. And uh, he essentially was invited by what is reported to be a, a member of Zelensky's government, or someone who later joined Zelensky's government in Ukraine, to have meetings with Burisma leadership. And this is the document, and this document describes the meetings and phone calls and what information he gleaned from that. Uh, so they had a meeting around in 2015 or 16, I guess late 2015 or 16. The CHS, the confidential human source, so he's meeting with the head of Burisma, their uh, CFO, and some other Burisma individuals. C the confidential human source asked why they, Burisma, needed to get uh, co the confidential human source's assistance regarding the purchase merger of a U.S.-based company when Hunter Biden was on the board. So Burisma, I guess, had the meeting and they were talking about, by the way, they were all talking in Russian. You have to remember, Burisma, even though it's a company in Ukraine, essentially was a Russia-leaning, you know, looking company, which highlights how in deep the Biden gang is in with the Russians. And so they wanted, according to this meeting, to kind of have Burisma uh, get into the U.S. market by buying a substantial uh, U.S. energy firm. Uh, Pordrowski, who was the CFO for Burisma, replied that Hunter Biden was not smart and they wanted to get additional counsel. What, if he wasn't smart, why did they give him $5 million? Well, we'll see. Later in the document, um, CHS recalled this meeting took place around the time, oh, this was a subsequent meeting in Austria in 2016. Uh, CHS, the confidential human source, recalled this meeting took place around the time Joe Biden made a public statement about former Ukraine prosecutor Viktor Shokin being corrupt and that he should be fired, removed from office. You remember that infamous statement, right? I said, you know, if you don't fire him, we're going to take your money away. He boasted about it. The confidential human source uh, told Sojewski, now he is the head of Burisma, so he is the CEO of Burisma, Sojewski. So you, this is information given to a confidential human source of the FBI by the head of Burisma. The media doesn't want you to know about this, and this is why I'm reading it to you. CSH, CHS, uh, the confidential human source, told Sojewski that due to Shokin's investigation into Burisma, which was made public at the time, it would have a substantial negative impact on Burisma's prospective IPO in the United States. Shulvesky uh, um, replied something to the effect of, don't worry, Hunter will take care of all those issues through his dad. The confidential human source did not ask further questions about what that specifically meant. Later, CHS, the confidential human source, suggested that it would be best that Burisma simply litigate the matter in Ukraine. This is the investigation by Shokin. Now, remember, during impeachment, 
they said that Shokin really wasn't even investigating Burisma. So there was no benefit to Joe for having Shokin fired. This confirms Shokin was investigating Burisma. And it was an issue for Burisma. And that's why they had Hunter. And I guess gave money to Joe, as you'll see. So the, so the confidential human source said, well, why don't you just litigate this in Ukraine and pay someone, pay some attorney $50,000? Shevesky uh, uh, said, he, Burisma, would likely lose the trial because he could not show that Burisma was innocent. <laughs> so it, Burisma was corrupt. Shevesky also laughed at CHS's number, the confidential human source's number of $50,000, not because of the small amount, but because the number contained a five and said it had cost $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to another Biden. He said he noted at that time it was unclear to the source whether there was alleged payment, those alleged payments were already made. So $10 million to Joe and Hunter. That's what he's saying here. The source told Silvesky that any such payments to the Bidens would complicate matters and Burisma should hire some normal U.S. oil and gas advisors because the Bidens have no experience with that business sector. The Bidens, Joe and Hunter. I mean, it's, Joe wasn't the, Hunter was a cutout for Joe on the Burisma board. It's clear. Silvesky made some comment that although Hunter Biden was stupid, and his dog was smarter, <laughs> Javisky needed to keep Hunter Biden on the board so everything will be okay. The source inquired whether Hunter Biden or Joe Biden told Javisky he should retain Hunter Biden. Javisky said they both did. So according to the head of Burisma, uh, he, uh, uh, of course, that the FBI had, and it's in the FBI file, so it's evidence that should have been pursued, but evidently, as best we can tell, never really was. Joe Biden told Barisman to hire Hunter. The human source reiterated his opinion that Chavesky was making a mistake and he should fire Hunter Biden and deal with Shokin's investigation directly so that the matter will remain an issue in Ukraine and not turn it into some international matter. Chavesky responded something to the effect of, don't worry, this thing will go away anyway. The human source replied that notwithstanding Shokin's investigation, it still was a bad decision for Barisman to spend Twenty to thirty million dollars to buy a U.S. business, and that the source didn't want to be involved with that Biden matter. Javesky responded that he appreciated his advice, but that it's too late to change his decision. And the human source understood this to mean that Javesky had already paid the Bidens, presumably to deal with Shokin. Another call. Shevesky, this is subsequent in the 2016-2017 time frame. Shevesky replied that he was not happy that Trump had won the election. So it was after the election. So it must have been early, at least in early 2000, the latest early 2017, right? The source asked Shevesky uh, whether he was concerned about Burisma's involvement with the Bidens. Shevesky said that he didn't want to pay the Bidens and he was pushed to pay them. The human source explained the Russian term Shevesky used to explain the payments was just uh, polochili, transliterated by the CHS. At polochili, the way it's spelled here is P-O-L-U-C-H-I-L-I. 
which literally translates to got it or received it, but also used in Russian criminal slang for being forced or coerced to pay. So these are coerced extorted payments, Polo Chile. Chileski stated Shokin had already been fired and no investigation was currently going on. Fired thanks to Biden. And that nobody would find out about his financial dealings with Biden's. The human source stated, I hope you have some backup proof for your words, namely that show that he was coerced to make payments. The human source told Chileski um, that he should uh, retain any recordings Oh, wait, wait, I'm, I'm missing something here. I hope you have some backup, right? Chavesky replied he had many text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make such payments. The human source told Chavesky he better make sure, certain that he had those recordings. Chavesky made asked whether it would make any legal difference whether he voluntarily made such payments or if he was forced to make them. Chavesky then asked the confidential human source whether he could provide any assistance in Ukraine with the Poroshenko regime, who was the president prior to Zelensky, I think, if something were to happen to Shiovesky in the future. The human source replied that he didn't want to get involved in any such matters. So you had the head of Burisma confirm that he gave a bribe to Biden and his son, and that he was coerced to. He had text messages and tape recordings of it and he was concerned for his freedom, if not his life, if something happened to him, and he was asking this FBI source for support and follow-up if something happened to him. Incredible, incredible information. Ask yourself, why haven't you heard about this from anywhere but here or your typical conservative news sources? Ask yourself that. At this time, and then later, there was another telephone call in 2019. At this time, the confidential human source understood Chavesky was living somewhere in Europe. During the call, Chavesky asked uh, the source whether um, or or his connection to uh, his to Ukraine, who was this official that I told you about, who I think went into the Zelensky administration, if they read the recent news reports about the investigations into the Bidens and Burisma. And Chavesky jokingly asked the confidential human source if he was an oracle due to the source's prior advice that Chavesky should not pay the Bidens and instead hire an attorney to litigate the allegations concerning Shokin's investigation. The human source mentioned Chavesky might have difficulty explaining suspicious wire transfers that may evidence any illicit payments to the Bidens. Chavesky responded he did not send any funds directly to the big guy uh, which the confidential human source understood was a reference to Joe Biden. The FBI had information separate from the other information that was already present through, I think it was Bobolinsky, right? That Joe Biden was the big guy in a separate document that Joe Biden was the big guy, this time from the head of Burisma. The head of Burisma called Joe Biden the big guy, according to the FBI source. The confidential human source asked Chavesky how many companies' bank accounts Chavesky controls. He responded it would take them, investigators, 10 years to find the records, i.e. the illicit payments, to Joe Biden. The confidential human source told Chavesky if he ever needed help in the future and wanted to speak to somebody in the U.S. government about that matter, 
that the confidential human source could introduce him to someone. So think about that. You had a head of Burisma recognize that Joe Biden is the big guy and tell that to a confidential human source for the FBI. All of this is, by the way, President Trump is being impeached for wanting to investigate this issue too. If you want to know why Trump was impeached, this document tells you why. Because they knew or had reason to know that Joe Biden was on the take and, and President Trump started asking questions about the corruption vis-a-vis Ukraine and Burisma. And for doing so, he had... <laughs> because everyone criticizes President Trump, but I think even his um, opponents would, under, would admit he has some pretty good instincts. And he's smart about what issues are out there that deserve further elucidation, right? So he knew something was up in Ukraine. It had been widely public that there was something up in Ukraine. And he wanted it pursued because it was a corruption issue and involved interference in the United States. And obviously, corruption involving um, U.S. monies, potentially, because we were giving money to this government that arguably was involved in corruptly trying to uh, help Joe Biden uh, or Hillary Clinton in 2016. So there are all sorts of issues there. But I'm sure uh, if you ask President Trump, did you think that uh, the issue was that they gave $10 million to Hunter and Joe, including money to Joe, uh, he probably would have been shocked, but probably in terms of the number, but not surprised, because he knew something was up. And he knew something was up, certainly subsequent, based on the fact they were willing to try to remove him from office for asking questions about this issue. And then later, subsequent to this, he clarified the human source, the numbers and the details about the tapes. Regarding, and that's on June 29, 2020, the confidential human source provided this following supplemental reporting according to this FBI document. Regarding the confidential human source's aforementioned reporting that Shlovesky said, Shlovesky said, that he had many text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make such payments, the human source clarified Shlovesky said he had a total of 17 recordings involving the Bidens, two of the recordings including Joe Biden, and the remaining 15 recordings only included Hunter Biden. The human source reiterated that per Shlojevsky that these recordings evidence Shlojevsky was somehow coerced into paying the Bidens to ensure Ukraine prosecutor General Viktor Shokin was fired. Shlojevsky stated he had two documents which CHS, the confidential human source, understood to be wire transfer statements, bank records, etc., that evidenced some payments that the Bidens were made, presumably in exchange for Shokin's firing. Where are the tapes? Huh? Have the FBI got the tapes? This is why Grassley, God bless his soul, put this out here. I mean, he's been, for decades, one of the leading anti-corruption senators in, in Washington, D.C., he saw this document, by the way, key parts of which were withheld from the House of Representatives. This is why Judicial Watch is now in federal court to get the uh, FBI version of this document. 
who knows, maybe they'll give us more information. And of course, we want other documents tied to this. What were the follow-up here? What was the follow-up? Did they get the documents? Did they get the wire transfer documents? Did they get the recordings? Did they talk to the head of Burisma about his allegations? He has bribed the president of the United States when he was vice president? And if not, why? Why was this document hidden from those IRS investigators? They just said they gave, Hunter's got $5 million in illegal income. Of course, it's a matter for the IRS. Joe got $5 million in illegal income. Of course, it's a matter for the IRS. And they weren't told about this. So when I say there is an issue of corruption in the Justice Department that requires a criminal investigation, I don't say it lightly. And when I say that this document requires an impeachment inquiry of Biden, I don't say it lightly. And my question is to Speaker McCarthy and Republican House leadership, when is the impeachment going to happen? When is the impeachment inquiry going to be instituted, initiated? And not just Garland, Joe Biden, you know, Joe Biden is the president. He did it according to this document. And there's more than enough here to impeach, at least begin the impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. Maybe there's an innocent explanation. Maybe all of this isn't true. Maybe there are no documents. Maybe there's no money. Well, you're not going to figure that out unless you do an investigation. And do you think the Justice Department's going to do an investigation? They're trying to jail Trump for asking these questions. In part, you dispute Biden, the Justice Department tries to jail you. Why would they investigate Biden? They're jailing Trump because they don't want to investigate Biden. You keep him on his back heels. You keep the Justice Department public integrity operation focused on targeting Trump and any other American who disputes Biden, targeting parents, targeting pro-lifers, censoring Americans. You think they're going to investigate Biden? No, they're, they're his political police. So what can be done? There are a few things that can be done. Obviously, I've talked about an impeachment inquiry. Now, I understand it's going to be tough politically. I understand maybe the Senate won't convict any of these folks and remove them from office. But it seems to me that if I were in Congress, given the evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors by the president and other acts warranting impeachment by his appointees, uh, you just don't have a choice but to do an impeachment. You have also uh, Congress, there's not a dollar that falls from the sky that um, isn't approved by Congress, certainly for Justice Department investigations. So if they object to the way the Justice Department is investigating Trump and trying to jail him and trying to abuse his civil rights, then why are they funding it? They can defund Jack Smith's investigation. They can stop government money for the illicit prosecutions of Trump. Again, it's going to be more than one, right? They can defund monies, federal monies, for jurisdictions like Michigan, jurisdictions in Georgia, jurisdictions in New York, who are abusing their powers to target Trump and other innocent American citizens. 
And it doesn't have to mean, you know, they're not necessarily going to shut down prosecutions, but they can say, if we're, if you're violating civil rights of citizens, you know, there are going to be restrictions on federal funding for your jurisdictions. We're not playing, we're, we're not giving you money that you can spend on somewhere else so you can spend elsewhere to abuse citizens under the United States Constitution who have, excuse me, exercised their rights under the United States Constitution, so their civil rights. So there are all sorts of things that Congress can do. And I tell you, if you're concerned about the future of the Republic, I implore you to ask your member of Congress what they're doing about it. You can call the House at 202-225-3121 and ask for your House member. That's the Capitol switchboard. The same goes for your senator. Ask, their, ask your senator, where's your leadership on this issue? There are Republican candidates running around Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, all over the place. Ask them, where's their leadership on this issue? You know, the challenge, I think, for Republican candidates who, you know, I understand there's a primary race. They don't, you know, if you're, you know, Trump is in a primary, there are candidates against him, and they're going to be critical of him. I understand it. That's politics. But it would seem to me that any, any, any citizen running for office, and I hold the standard for Democrats and Republicans, uh, should denounce this. And, and that seems to me the test for those who don't want Trump to be the primary, uh, the, the, the nominee for the party is, look, I don't want, you know, you say, I don't want Trump to be the nominee for the primary. If, I, if that's the position of someone like Chris Christie or Tim Scott or Ron DeSantis. But I tell you what, I don't want the Justice Department to abuse the rule of law. And if they continue to do so, this is the reaction they will get from me. And they should be denouncing it. I mean, the test is, that you are you going to sit by while your political enemies are abused by the Justice Department? I hope that's not the case for Republicans, but it kind of is the case for too many of them. And it's a lot of reasons, it's a lot of the reason you hear some silence from Washington, D.C., from some Republican leaders, because they like to see Trump harassed and abused. And yeah, and if it meant abusing you, they wouldn't care either. I remember during the years of the tax... Um, Lois Lerner's years, by the way, Jack Smith, who was working with Lois Lerner to target American citizens. There are more than a few Republicans who like the idea of the Tea Party populists who are critical of Republican leadership being suppressed by the, ta by the IRS. And that's why there wasn't much done to go after Lois Lerner. So our Republic is under assault. I keep on saying it. Uh, Judicial Watch is doing its part to expose what's going on. We have litigation. We stand true and fast for the rule of law and our Constitution. As I said, we've been harassed by the Jack Smith team because we are effective, because we've been telling the truth about the corrupt targeting of Trump. I was brought in, Judicial Watch was harassed with a document subpoena. I was brought in to have to testify in retaliation, I believe, for telling the truth about the abuse of Trump. So Judicial Watch is going to stand strong, and the question is, will other citizens stand strong too? In the least, call your senators, call your congressmen. Tell your neighbors. Tell your friends that there's a real problem in Washington, and it's not a joke what's happening to Trump, because when they're done with Trump, as they see, you see in Michigan, they're going after the Michigan equivalent of the little old lady from Pasadena to try to jail her for the rest of her life for daring, daring to dispute the Biden election. I don't know what the Michigan equivalent of Pasadena is, 
Maybe you can tell me below. But you all know what I mean. So I'm outraged. Uh, I'm upset about it. And I'm not going to give Republicans a pass for doing nothing. Hearings are great. This was, this was an important week for disclosures. Senator Grassley deserves a medal for a lot of reasons. His willingness to release this document, he deserves credit for. Uh, Congressman Comer, um, his hearing here, the IRS witnesses was great. And of course, Jim Jordan continues to do some good work. But I, you know, hearings are not what they're put on earth for. It's to get things done, to get accountability, and to use all the tools available to them under the Constitution. For instance, there's going to be a government funding fight towards the end of the year, I guarantee you. And what happens is they're supposed to spend uh, all this money and they, and they spend it through an omnibus and either they do it or the government, quote, shut down, never really shuts down. Parts of it gets shut down. Are they, going to will, are they willing to shut down the government to protect Trump from being jailed? Protect you from being censored? You pick the topic. If not, why not? Is there anything important enough is our republic important enough to shut the government down for a few weeks to stop the Justice Department from abusing the core rights under our Constitution, the civil rights of Trump and other citizens? I think so. So those are my thoughts. And of course, you know Judicial Watch will continue using the Freedom of Information Act uh, through uh, requests, federal lawsuits, and, and dare I say it, education. I go on social media, Judicial Watch goes on social media, we talk about these issues, and the left goes ballistic, because we tell the truth in a way they don't like. And as I said, it's not just the left that goes ballistic, Jack Smith goes ballistic, because they're sending FBI agents to my home. Actually, that was done by the Biden Justice Department. He just, he just doubled down by forcing me to go before the grand jury, even though he didn't need me to do that. So things are not going to get better, guys. They're going to get worse. They're going to get worse. I'm warning you, it's going to get worse. Our republic is on the brink. So I got some good news. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the reasons the left wants to shut us down is because they don't want us to talk about election integrity. And Judicial Watch is a national leader in fighting for cleaner and fairer elections under law. The left opposes voter ID. They promote unsupervised ballot, uh, unsupervised voting, you know, massive vote by mail. Uh, schemes that make it almost impossible to be in, to ensure uh, that votes aren't maliciously messed with, both either through intimidation or fraud. And then, uh, and the, then, of course, they support counting votes forever and a day, even after election day, in a way that undermines confidence in the elections. And Judicial Watch has also been the leader in ensuring, certainly, if we're going to be mailing ballots all over the place. And certainly if um, we're not going to be asking people for voter ID, that the people who are on the rolls in states with or without voter IDs are supposed to be there, meaning that people who have moved away or died or otherwise become ineligible to vote in a certain state, their names are ultimately removed. And that typically had not been happening under the 
uh, Justice Department's interpretation or application of the law. There had been a law passed during the Clinton administration by the left to encourage voter registration. They wanted to use welfare offices and uh, motor voter, for instance, offices uh, to encourage people to register to vote. And the concern from the conservatives was that, look, you know, people should be registering to vote. No one objects to that. But when you start registering people every time they have an interaction with the government, you're going to get double registrations. And people are going to be registering to vote who are ineligible. And so the, the deal was that they would have a part of the law, this motor voter bill, would also require states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls and give people access to information about how those rolls are being cleaned up. Well, guess which part of the law the left Justice Department enforced? You got it. The, the law requiring everybody and their mother to be registered to vote or have the ability to register to vote, but they refused to enforce the law that required the states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls until Judicial Watch came around, and because thankfully the law allowed private parties to enforce it. And Judicial Watch filed the first lawsuits against Indiana and Ohio. I guess it was nearly, uh, it's now over um, a decade ago, back in 2012 we began the litigation, uh, with the private enforcement of the law requiring states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. And in those two states, they did what we asked them to do, they changed the law, or they cleaned up the rolls, and uh, so we were very pleased with that outcome. In Kentucky, uh, we had a subsequent lawsuit that resulted in a consent decree where hundreds of thousands of names were cleaned up. In California, where the rolls were filthy, they hadn't cleaned up the rolls in 20 years, we sued the state and Los Angeles County specifically and settled that federal lawsuit, and Los Angeles County just cleaned up, they confirmed to us as a result of that settlement, 1.2 million names from the rolls. Similarly, in North Carolina, after we sued, North Carolina rushed to clean up about a half a million names. They cleaned up a bunch of names in Pennsylvania after we filed a lawsuit. We settled because they cleaned up the names and were going to seemingly keep us abreast for further cleanups. Same happened in Colorado. So we were doing the work of the Justice Department to clean up the election rolls. And as a result of Judicial Watch's uh, really heavy lifting, over the last decade, it all came to a head really in the last year, year and a half, where we had several states clean up two million names from their rolls, thanks to our litigation. Two million names. Incredible. And of course, there's still more to be done. Uh, the latest batch of numbers related to voter registration uh, uh, lists has been uh, uh, released by the federal government just in the last few weeks. We're carefully analyzing those records to see where else uh, uh, needs to, uh, where what other states need to clean up their roles. So more is coming. And as I said, part of the part of the problem is that the states don't want to share information about their voter registration list and what they're doing to clean up the rolls. And Judicial Watch had filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Illinois Conservative Union against the state of Illinois, the Illinois State of Elections, Board of Elections, and its director, uh, which grants access um, in order to gain access, uh, essentially to their list of registered voters. And, and it was such a game our clients were having to go through in order to gain access to this list. 
State officials had refused to allow the nonprofit Illinois Conservative Union and three lawfully registered Illinois voters to obtain a copy of their state's voter registration list despite their lawful request for these records under federal law. The state board allowed access to the records but made um, any meaningful review impossible at requiring the plaintiffs to travel to Springfield, Illinois, which is the capital, during limited working hours and review Illinois' millions of voter records one at a time on a computer terminal with no ability to sort or organize records. So we sued. And we got a settlement. And this is what the judge entered in the settlement. Pursuant to this agreement, defendants, the Illinois government officials, shall provide to plaintiffs the current centralized statewide list of registered voters for Illinois in electronic format and with all fields provided to political committees, including but not limited to fields indicating the registrant's full name, residential street address, email address, telephone number, county state voter identification number, age of the registrant, and the registrant's status, active or inactive, and the most recent date the entry was changed in voting history for the last 15 elections. So before this lawsuit was, uh, was filed, we couldn't get our clients couldn't get access to any of that information. They had to go down to the office in Springfield, Illinois, look at record by record on an Illinois government computer. And now they gain access to the information according to settlement that you know parties get the same access to. Citizens now can get access to it for the purposes, obviously, of making sure the lists are being properly maintained as the federal law requires. As I said, the National Voter Registration Act provides that states, quote, shall make available for public inspection and where available, photocopying at a reasonable cost all records concerning the implementation of programs and activities conducted for the purposes of ensuring the accuracy and currency of official lists of eligible voters. One record, so how does that comport with telling them that they had to look at the records one record at a time? during, quote, normal business hours at the State Board of Elections office in Springfield, which was 200 miles from where they live. We argued that that was, those restrictions made a mockery of federal law as much as it was the equivalent of requiring our clients to wear blindfolds. Now, what had happened was, I think that helped accelerate this settlement, is that uh, Judge Ellis ruled on a motion in the case that the plaintiffs had plausibly alleged that Illinois law conflicts with and frustrates the, um, the federal law's purpose of providing voter information to the public to help ensure the accuracy and currency of voter registration rolls. She allowed a claim to proceed under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment on the grounds that political committees in Illinois can access copies of the voter registration database while ordinary citizens can't. The claims made... Uh, as I said, the claims were made against the top election officials in Illinois. Now, the numbers still are difficult or uh, still bad in Illinois in the sense that it looks like those current numbers I'm telling you about, according to our forthcoming study on the matter, that 14% of Illinois' counties have more registered voters than citizens over 18, while Illinois as a whole has close to 800,000 inactive registrants. Now, inactive means they haven't voted arguably in the last federal election, but at least in the last federal election. Uh, so a portion of those names should be off the list. Uh, 
if they're cleaning the rolls uh, the way they're supposed to under the law. And gaining access to this full list will allow our clients and 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 others like Judicial Watch to get a better picture of how Illinois is maintaining its voter list. It doesn't mean all this information, uh, you know, uh, is going to be misused. It's for the purposes of maintaining cleaner lists. The public records provisions of the National Voter Registration Act, as federal courts have found throughout the nation, were intended to enhance the ability of private groups to monitor whether states are removing ineligible voters from their roles. In April 2020, a federal court in Maryland noted that organizations such as Judicial Watch have the resources and expertise that few individuals can marshal. By excluding these organizations from access to voter registration lists, the purpose of the federal law is undermined and the court ordered Maryland to produce the records there as well. Now, as I keep on saying, clean voter rolls can mean cleaner elections. Um, they also, the adverse of that is dirty voting rolls can mean dirty elections. And of course, this settlement with Illinois, and I do give the credit to Illinois officials for settling with our clients here because you know they could have fought us and, it, uh, and they didn't. And they agreed to give us access um, thanks to this lawsuit and, and their good sense. Voters will now have the transparency that federal law requires in order to ensure elections in Illinois are more honest and cleaner. So it's a victory for all, all legal voters in Illinois and, dare I say it, across the land. In May of 2022, we have another lawsuit that we had filed that's also of interest to you that's ongoing. It, uh, we sued Illinois on behalf of Congressman Mike Bost and two other registered Illinois voters to stop state election officials from extending election day for 14 days beyond the date established by federal law. I mean, they count ballots that arrive for up to 14 days after election day, including ballots without a postmark. I mean, how does that comport with free and fair elections? And I've talked to you about our other achievements related to the rule of law on elections. So I, I don't know, you know, I know that Biden administration's trying to jail people who want clean and honest elections, but Judicial Watch ain't going to slow down. The Justice Department's been AWOL when it comes to enforcing the rule of law on, uh, uh, and requiring uh, cleaner elections by making sure the rolls are being uh, kept clean in the states. And it doesn't require the states to do something crazy. It, it takes, you know, you got to do the reasonable steps. And what typically is a reasonable step based on the law and, and Judicial Watch's experience in the courts? So this is what's supposed to happen uh, under at least the federal interp the interpretation of the law that has kind of come up as a result of our litigation and states' response to it. So if you don't vote in a federal election, let's say you didn't vote last year in the congressional election, you're supposed to get a card from your election authority, your local board of elections or the state board of elections, saying, hey, you didn't vote, where are you? Now, if you don't reply to that card or otherwise vote in the next two federal elections, so if you don't vote in the 2024 election and if you don't vote in the 2026 election, and you don't tell the state that you want to remain a registered voter. So you're not required to vote, but you got to at least tell the state you're still there. Your name should be removed. So that's like four, let's say five or six years, practically speaking, until a voter who may have moved is removed. 
Now, why would anyone oppose that? Because having dirty names on the rolls, in my view, provides extra wiggle room for those who want to engage in fraud. And if your locality isn't doing that, you should ask them why. And the law that I'm talking about here uh, isn't just for Judicial Watch, it's for you, dear citizen. So if you have a question for how they are, how the, your locality or your state uh, cleans its rolls, you can ask for records. Look up the law that I'm talking about, the National Voter Registration Act. I think it's Section 8I. And you can make a request under law to inspect these records. You know, they may want to charge you for photocopying or something. But you can ask the question. And you're asking the question, you should do it respectfully and figure out what the law allows you to ask. You know, could get some good results. I know from Judicial Watch's experience, us calling attention to uh, dirty voting rolls, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to sue because some of these jurisdictions say, thank you. We're, gonna, we're cleaning them up right now. Thank you for telling us. In Pennsylvania, Allegheny County, we sent a letter saying, you, your voting rolls are out of whack. It doesn't look like you've been cleaning them. And their response was they immediately removed 69,000 names. So who knows? So figure out how to ask the question. It's pretty easy. You can go to our website, look it up, go to National Voter Registration Act information related to information requests for voter maintenance uh, records. And you can ask the questions directly. Uh, but in the meantime, you can bet Judicial Watch is going to do the heavy lifting for you generally in terms of analyzing this information that the states have provided the federal government as to whether or not they're maintaining accurate and clean election rules as the federal law requires. And if they're not, Judicial Watch will do its darndest within our capacity to follow up and clean the rolls. And I know uh, we, uh, we will be successful. Why? Because our history shows that when we move and act, rolls get cleaned. Two million rolls, names removed from the rolls in the last year or so. And I suspect, as I said, many more are coming, so we'll keep you abreast uh, as, as we continue this fight over the next few months into next year. We know time's a wasting, and we're moving quickly. So next up is uh, an issue that the, again, the big media is only barely able to, is only now kind of covering uh, because it's been such a kind of a personal scandal for President Biden. They've been protecting him on it. It's um, issue, an issue related to the president's seventh grandchild. Now, the president has six grandchildren, but Hunter Biden had a relationship with a woman and through which he had a child, um, which has been established through a paternity test. There was a big child um not a custody battle, but a, a child support battle that he was involved with uh, his mother in uh, recently. And so it's been in the news. But, you know, the question is, why hasn't Joe Biden acknowledged his granddaughter? And, you know, you can all have your own opinions on that. And that isn't necessarily the issue. The issue from our perspective is, now that we know this is Joe Biden's granddaughter, he's the president of the United States, is she or is she not getting Secret Service protection as she, I think, should be getting? And we've asked the Secret Service that, and they don't want to tell us one way or the other. Um, well, they, they actually did tell us, and I'm gonna, I'll explain why. We filed a lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security, which is the governing agency. It's the agency in which the Secret Service resides. 
uh, for all internal Secret Service communications regarding the provision or potential provision of Secret Service protection for Navy Joan Roberts, the four-year-old daughter of Hunter Biden and the grandchild of Joe Biden. And we asked for these records back in May, and as of uh, June, well, as of like last week, they haven't given us the records. The Secret Service um, states that on their website, under Title 18 of the United States Code, Section 3056, the agency's, the agency's authority as provided by law guarantees protection for the president and vice president and their immediate families. On June 6th of last year, the Daily Mail reported that President Biden refused to provide security for the little girl after her mother, London Roberts, reported to police that she had been threatened by her ex-fiance, who was a cage fighter, an MMA uh, mixed martial artist, I guess, Princeton Foster. We filed the FOIA request in May of this year. In June, the Secret Service issued a final response stating no responsive records have been located. We didn't believe that, so we appealed the determination and challenged the thoroughness of the search, and, uh, but they refused to re uh, respond to our appeal. So really shady stuff. Uh, Judicial Watch filed the lawsuit, um, and this is specifically what we asked for. All reports, memoranda, and internal, and internal U, uh, United States Secret Service electronic communications, including emails and text messages regarding the provision or protection, potential provision of Secret Service protection uh, to the granddaughter of uh, Joe Biden and the daughter of Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, of course, had denied paternity initially, uh, but a DNA test in 2019 proved he is, in fact, the father of Navy Joan Roberts, and he had been providing significant court-ordered um, he had been and he had been providing significant court-ordered child support, I guess, in the last two years or three years. But I think it's almost three quarters of a million dollars. The last number I saw. Now, President Biden has never acknowledged this girl, and the New York Times had kind of an astonishing story earlier this month. This was like the first major media coverage of this of this issue. In strategy meetings in recent years, aides have been told the Bidens have six, not seven, grandchildren, according to two people familiar with the discussions. The president has not yet met or publicly mentioned his other grandchild. His White House has not answered questions about whether he will publicly acknowledge her, her, her now that the child support case is settled. Now, I'm sure you, I know I have views about whether President Biden should acknowledge his grandchild. I mean, I, I just can't imagine uh, any any adult father uh, knowingly avoiding meeting and developing a relationship with a, a a little girl like that, four years old, and they've known it's his daughter since 2019, and evidently there's been no Secret Service protection for the entire presidency of Joe Biden, despite their knowing that she's at risk. All of Joe Biden's grandchildren can receive Secret Service protection while he's in office. And I, I just can't imagine any good reason to deny security to that little girl, and certainly her mother probably as well. So this is an awful story, but I tell you, I want, I want this little girl to be protected. I want her mother to be protected. 
I don't understand why the Secret Service isn't providing the protection. Is this report true that Joe Biden has knowingly refused to provide protection, Secret Service protection to his granddaughter? Where's Hunter? Isn't he advocating for it? This is a public policy issue, folks. This isn't a personal matter. I guess it is personal. But there's an intersection with the public interest here. Because God help this country if something happens. I mean, I can't, I can't believe this is going on. I just, I just can't believe it. It's really upsetting. So we'll see what the Secret Service comes up with. In my experience, the response like we got this from the Secret Service is they have something to hide. They have something to hide. You know, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what the law provides for if, if it needs author if if the law requires authorization by the president to provide the protection. I tell you, if I were running the Secret Service, I'd provide the protection and then ask questions later, ask permission later. That's what I'd do. Otherwise, I'd be out. Remember, this is the same Secret Service that couldn't find who left the cocaine, right? It's political. It's political. This is a terrible city in terms of corruption. The agencies are just terrible, as, as we're finding. And this FOIA lawsuit, they don't have any records, they're telling us, about protection for this little girl. So based on that response, she's not getting protected. It's infuriating. Well, I'm glad we're at the end of the report because I'm going to get really mad and... and it's going to get unpleasant around here, and I want you to have a pleasant rest of the week. And I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. And in the meantime, I encourage you uh, to follow us online. We're on all the major social media platforms. I'm on all the social media platforms. And I encourage you to support our work as well. Go to judicialwatch.org, click on the Donate button, and make a donation to Judicial Watch. We're protecting the Constitution, we're protecting your elections, and we're advocating for a little girl with uh, the Secret Service of the United States through this lawsuit. I'm proud of our work, and you should be too, and I hope you want to support it. Thank you, and I'll see you here next time again on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.